Last Sunday after church, I uh, I headed out and went to a certain drive-through uh, restaurant. Um, I, you know, I, I was kind of I was listening to Pastor Matt. And I figured, hey, if it's good enough for Maeve Pashera, it's good enough for me. Um, so I, I hit this. I hit the Taco Bell drive-through. Now I know judgment, sneering, condescent, you know, ascension, all this. We will talk about that next week in the sermon, but. Uh, Pastor Gabby has already avowed like that she's you know won't be my friend anymore because I eat at Taco Bell and it's an insult to her heritage. So, um, but I went anyway because that's what we do in the Teixeira family on Sunday afternoons. We indulge in some Taco Bell, and I headed over and uh, Pastor Matt had just preached a great sermon and just was like uh, just an excellent. Uh, kind of message last week, and I pull up to the drive-thru, and you get to the little place where you order, and the, the, they talk to you out of the, you know, the little speaker, and the guy says this out of the, you know, I guess I'd been there before, and I never really noticed it until last week, but this is what they say to you when you pull up to Taco Bell. Welcome to Taco Bell. How can I help you live moss today? How can I help you live moss today? It's like, first of all, I'm, I'm sure that's really bad Spanish. But second, and more significantly, it, it was a striking reminder to me that sometimes we settle for the cheapest, grossest, most secondary things in this world to truly bring us joy and pleasure in our lives. Like, um, and it was, all, it was almost like Pastor Matt's sermon, like, summed up into one little statement there, one little phrase, you know. Your life will be greater and richer and happier and more satisfied if you'll just order the shredded chicken burrito off the value menu, which I have to say is good for $1.49. Um, <laughs> then, you'll really, then you'll really be living. Then you will, like, have the good life. Then you'll be living moss. And, and we're in this series in the Gospel of Luke Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount that's called the Sermon on the Plain. And in this series, what Jesus is talking about is the real way, God's way, to live moss. To experience a life of deep meaning and purpose and joy and rich satisfaction that experiences God fully and in a satisfying way for your soul and then advances his kingdom and lives for his kingdom in this world. That's what Jesus is talking to us about throughout this this message. And today we're grabbing a passage from Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 27. So grab your Bibles, pull them out. We had a little PowerPoint thingy today. So that's all you're getting today is just that. So you have to follow along in your Bibles. If you didn't bring one, grab one out of the pew rack in front of you and turn to page 837. That's where we will be this morning. This morning we're going to be talking about love. We're going to be talking about how Jesus calls us to interact with the most challenging, difficult people in our lives. And you know what's interesting is that as Jesus talks about the kingdom life, what it means to really live with and follow God, the very first thing he says is this. It starts with... Not only how you interact and interface with people, but how you do that with the most challenging people for you. That's where you'll see the kingdom show up in your life as you follow Christ. In the, in the gnarliest, dirtiest, grungiest places. It's, it's, and this morning we're gonna, we're gonna talk about love. We're gonna talk about who we're called to love in this kingdom. We're gonna talk about what that love looks like, how it plays out, and how we should live it, and then where the motivation to love in this kingdom way comes from. Luke chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 27 and read the first five verses. We're going to be there for a while. We're going to camp out here. So, Jesus says this, 
But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And first off, as we dive into this section, Jesus says, to you who are listening, if you remember a few weeks ago, Jesus has gathered, there's a, a large crowd around him, people from all over the place, and he's addressing the entire crowd. But here, he, he seems to narrow his focus. He says, now I want to talk to, to those of you who are listening. In the ESV, it says, to you who hear. And that Greek word translated hear or listen actually means this. Literally, it means to give an ear to the teacher. To give an ear to the teacher. This is what I encourage my kids with and the ride to school every morning that I get a chance to take them. You know, I, I give them this little pep talk. Hey, you know, uh, focus today. Don't just go through the motions. Don't just sit in class and pass time. Do your best to take in the information that you might actually grow and learn and be challenged and changed by what is being taught. And that's what Jesus says here. To those of you who are serious about taking in what I have to say and experiencing this kingdom and applying these words to your life, if that's what you want, if you truly long to live in this kingdom, this message is for you. And maybe a good place to start this morning is just with the simple question, is that you today? Do you really want this kingdom? Do you long to live the way Jesus wants you to, to live? Do you have an ear for him, for him and for his teaching? Jesus starts off this way. He says, love your enemies. Now, obviously, we're not surprised by this. We've heard this uh, said before. It's not shocking to us in the way it would have been to them. Love is certainly at the very center, at the heart of what it means to live the Christian life. But when you really think about Jesus' call here of who he's asking us to love, it's quite challenging. Love your enemies. The Greek word translated enemies here is the word ekthros. And it it means this, one who is hostile towards or opposes you. And then Jesus kind of gives... He rattles off these illustrations, these descriptors to help us understand a bit more clearly who exactly it is that might be an enemy, an ekthros for you and me. And he says, those who hate you, curse you, mistreat you, slap you. The word to curse is a person who would pronounce misfortune or evil or doom, who who would wish or speak or think negative, awful misfortune for you in your life. Uh, this this idea of someone slapping you is referring to the idea that in Jesus' day, if someone wanted to publicly insult you or humiliate you or degrade you in front of others, they would they would literally slap you across the face. In fact, the very first Christians, when they were thrown out of the synagogue, when the, the Jews would say, you are no longer fit to worship in this place with us, they would toss them out and they would do it with a slap across the face as a way of saying, you are a disgrace to us and we publicly humiliate you for following Jesus. The word mistreat is more of a general word. It means to insult or threaten or revile or accuse falsely. And I go through all of this because from the very beginning of this teaching, Jesus is talking about how we're supposed to respond to our enemies. And my big fear is this. I don't think very many people in this room 
can even think of one person they would call an enemy. I mean, and not, not at least in the way we th- we think of and speak about enemies. Do you have? Do you even have an? En- do you have any enemies? I was thinking this week. I was wondering. Do I? Can I even come up with? One person I would consider to be an enemy for my entire life, not just now, but for my entire life, all, however many years I've been around, for that long a time, which I don't want to say anymore, um, because it might be 40 now, but uh, for that long, how many enemies can I even say that I have? I could only think of one. Fifth grade. We just moved to Alabama. I was the new kid there. And I know this is shocking to you guys, but I was like enormous in fifth grade. I was the biggest kid in the class. And because of that, this little guy named Jake, I don't remember his last name, the little punk, he decided he was going to prove his like toughness by picking on the biggest kid in the class that year all year. And he made my life like awful that year. He just picked on me and poked at me and made fun of me. And I don't know if he ever slapped me, but he pushed me and certainly tried to punch me a couple times. But I would consider Jake an enemy. But other than Jake, I don't think I have any enemies. I mean, there's no Lex Luthers or Jokers or Heinz Doofensmertz for me. Maybe you've got a Jake. Maybe you've really got someone who's kind of out to get you a nemesis figure in your life, but I'm guessing not. So the question is, is this passage for you? I believe that it is. Because Jesus says, anytime, either on a regular basis or as a one-time incident, someone hurts you or humiliates you or causes you pain or suffering or anxiety or speaks words or takes actions against you in any way that harms you or damages your heart or soul, he says in those moments you have what we'd call like a momentary little enemy someone that you're going to have to deal with and jesus says now let's talk about how we will deal with those people in those moments as ones who live in the kingdom as ones who are god's people so that's who now for the what and what does it look like to love these people in our world this is where we'll spend the bulk of our time this morning what does loving our enemies what does loving people through the midst of conflict and turmoil and difficult situations really look like how should we do it i want to talk first of all about two ways it does not look and then finally we'll get to the way that i believe jesus wants it to look for us as we kind of follow him in this world the first way it does not look is it does not look aggressive there's not a sense or an element of a vengeance or or getting even or settling the score when we deal with conflict and hurt and harm and enemies in our lives according to jesus in fact uh, some people have said this is jesus uh, chapter that parallels paul's first corinthians 13 this is the love chapter and he says you know love does not go out and seek to settle the score Make things right by harming you if you harmed me. Now, that seems pretty obvious to most of us. That seems like we've heard that from Jesus before. So why does he even need to mention it? Why do we need to talk about it today? It's because of this. Most of us believe it. We know it. We think it. And yet, the question is, in those moments, do we live it? When someone hurts us or insults us, do we lash out? Do we get even with words or thoughts or actions, or by withholding any of those? If so, then I think we have got a vengeance 
aggressive vengeance problem, and Jesus would call us on it. A couple of years ago, a TV show came out. Um, it was called Revenge. You guys remember the show, Revenge? It may still be on, I don't know. But I, I watched it for some time, and the, the backdrop to this, to this show is that there's this young woman who, when she was a little girl, her father was killed by this, this family, this group of people who all sort of plotted together to have her father killed. And now, as a young woman, she goes back into their lives, and she is seeking revenge. She's going to settle the score. She's going to get even with the people who have killed her father. And each episode is kind of set up where she targets a specific individual, one of the individuals who played a part in the death of her dad, and she, throughout the episode, sort of works behind the scenes, kind of covertly, to get even, to get her revenge. And by the end of the show, each time, another person has gone down, another person has been like laid to waste. She has gotten revenge. And I tell you, as I watched the show, it felt great. I found myself, like, by the end of every episode, going like, yeah, get him, you nailed him, you got him again. And then there were a couple episodes in there where it, it took a few episodes to get a particular characters, like, revenge kind of done. And at the end of an episode where she didn't actually get her final revenge and justice, I just felt gypped and empty. Like, I wanted the revenge. I wanted the people to pay. And I'm thinking, that's just exactly how the human heart is. You see, we know that aggressive vengeance isn't God's plan. We know that it actually doesn't work. And yet there is something in us. There is this, this God part of us that so wants justice that we are willing to settle for the cheap form of justice and reconciliation that we can get in an instant. See, revenge feels so good in a moment, but it will not Last, It will not stand the test of time. And one of the things I did in preparation for this message this week is, is Pastor Matt actually lobbed me this sermon that Martin Luther King Jr. preached on this very topic, Love Your Enemies. And I have never, I had not before this week, ever read a sermon by Martin Luther King Jr., and I read this sermon, and it was phenomenal. I, I read it three times. Some of the things he says in this, in this message were so simple and yet so amazingly profound, especially when you think about where he was and what he was going through. One of the things he says as he talks about loving your enemies is this. And it's about this idea that, that vengeance and hate and, and kind of lashing out in an aggressive way will not ultimately work. He says, returning hate for hate multiplies hate, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Hate multiplies hate. Violence multiplies violence. And toughness multiplies toughness in a descending spiral of destruction. And then he goes on to say this. The chain reaction of evil, hate beginning hate, wars producing more wars, must be broken or we shall be plunged into the dark abyss of annihilation. Now let me ask before we move on too quickly. Does aggression... Does vengeance, does, re, does revenge have any place in your heart, in your life right now? With anyone you know? In a purposeful, overt way or in a very subtle, covert way even? Are you, quietly or maybe even loudly, trying to settle the score 
anywhere in your life. It can be subtle as a word you speak, a comment you make, a harsh email or a text, a decision to passively, aggressively do or not do something that will cause the other person hurt or pain or trouble in return for something they have done to you. Where in your life are you looking to settle the score? Anywhere? Jesus says that's the first first thing that will not work when dealing with our enemies, difficult people, conflict. In the same way, he says what equally is as ineffective as aggressive vengeance is passive passively being a victim now this is probably my my favorite point of the entire sermon so stay with me and really try to grasp this point because there's so much power in this there's so much freedom in this actually and i think it's one of the biggest mistakes that Christians make and it comes right out of this text. People misunderstand what Jesus says here and they apply it to their lives in wrong ways and it actually works against them in their life and relationships and, and tears them down. So, so be excited, focus in, listen to this point. Even if you don't like it, just fake it for me. Okay, here we go. If you read these words, words closely, the very last thing Jesus wants for you is to look into the face of sin or harm or abuse or mistreatment and just sit back and take it. So many people read Jesus, they read the words of Jesus and they think, well, I guess when people are mean to me, I'm just supposed to endure it, take it, be passive in the face of it. But friends, that is not what Jesus says here. In fact, listen to the words. Listen to the commands he gives in this passage. This is what he's telling us to do. He's saying, if you want to live in the kingdom, engage the kingdom, be my people, love, do good, bless, pray, turn, give. And in the fourth grade English class that I took, all those words are verbs. Very good class. Making me nervous. They're verbs. They're action words that are meant to unleash us to proactively do something that will have impact. Jesus says, don't be passive. This is not a moment for passivity here. The word for love is agape. It's, It's the God word. It's the Christian word for love. And it means no matter what someone may say or do to me, I will only respond with their highest good in mind. That's agape love. No matter what somebody... But I will respond with their highest good. This is an action word. This is a get it done word. You see, one of the misconceptions about Jesus is that this is who he was. He was just a pacifist teacher who fell victim to the corruption and evil and hatred of the Roman Empire and ended up crucified, hanging on a cross. Friends, hear me on this. That is absolutely not the story. Jesus did not come to earth to do good stuff, be really nice, and then accidentally got put on the cross. The story of Jesus is that He chose the cross. He embraced the cross. He went to the cross as an act of strong, powerful, assertive love that crushed the head of the evil one and defeated the powers of sin and death in this world now and forever. I will say it again, friends. Jesus was not a victim and He does not call you to be one either. This is not a passage. This passage has been used to justify so many things. Abuse and oppression and injustice. Domestic violence. Just hang in there and turn the other cheek. Not what Jesus is saying. 
Do not misunderstand the gospel, friends. The gospel says this. When the kingdom of God, when God's people come into contact with these things, injustice, evil, sin, abuse, oppression, hatred, instead of acting with aggressive vengeance or as passive victims, the kingdom says we respond with something so much more powerful, something that truly leads to life transformation and reconciliation, a force that melts evil like water melted the wicked witch of the West. When I was a kid, one of the things uh, I loved to do was play ping pong. We had a ping pong table in our basement and both my mom and dad played ping pong. And so I, I just fell in love with the sport of ping pong. Can you call it a sport, activity, whatever it is. I liked it. Um, and I played a lot of ping pong and I actually got pretty good at ping pong. And so when I became a youth pastor... There was a ping pong in the youth room at the church where I served, and I, I proudly made this declaration. No student from my youth group will ever beat me in ping pong. <laughs> and, you know, that was, there was some strategy to that. I wanted to sort of incite some rivalry. And so they tried, and they tried, and they tried, but they could never beat me until he came along. <laughs> Justin Halverson. Justin was a great kid. He was in the youth group. And in high school, he was a pretty good ping pong player, but I was always just a shade beyond him. We'd play best out of three, and I'd win two games by the skin of my teeth. So I was, all, I was holding on to my title, like, you know, just by a thread. And then Justin went away to college for a couple years and came back. And I'll never forget the day that he said, ping pong, tonight. At youth group, I'm showing up, you and me, and like, like the kids were gathered around. It was like, you know, it's like a cage match, you know, one of these deals. And just before we were about to play the game, I reached into like the ratty old drawer in the youth room and pull out the ratty old youth room ping pong paddle. And what does Justin pull out of his bag but a bright, shiny new ping pong paddle case <laughs> with like the ping pong paddle that Superman used in there. And that ping pong game didn't go as well for me. It's like this new paddle gave Justin the ability to spike every single shot I could throw at him, and he, he beat me handily, and so I lost, lost my title. And, and I, I think one of the things that Jesus is saying here is he's saying, when, when we do this love thing with the world, with our enemies, we don't just play really aggressively and hit the ball harder and harder. We don't just throw our paddle on the table and walk away and say, I'm out of the game. He says, no, we come to the match and now we're playing with a whole new paddle. We got a whole new strategy. And I don't know if that illustration really works, but I wanted to tell you about ping pong today. And so it was kind of a stretch, I know. The first service was like, how does that relate to the sermon? I was like, come on. Um, You run out of illustrations sometimes, don't you, Carl? I mean, you're grasping for them. Jesus does say, though, not aggression, not passivity, not vengeance, not the victim. There is another way for Jesus. When we engage our enemies and deal with conflict and struggle with other people, he gives it to us. And he gives us two examples of what it looks like right here in verse 29. Listen to this. He says, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat... Do not withhold your shirt from them. Now, 
We've talked a little bit about the slapping piece and how it's public humiliation, thrown out of the synagogue and such. The coat thing um, has to do with the two primary pieces of clothing that every Jewish male would wear. They would wear this overcoat, kind of like a, a long coat that went to the ground, and it was thick and it would keep you warm. And then underneath their overcoat, they would wear an undercoat that was actually called a, a tunic. It's referred here in, in this passage to as a shirt, but the actual Greek word is tunic. And the tunic is almost like a long t-shirt. It's the long shirt that goes underneath your coat that kind of shields your body from the coat being too stra- scratchy. So you have these two primary pieces of clothing. And, 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 what, and what Luke tells us here, what Jesus is saying in this gospel, is that here's how you should respond when someone comes and becomes your enemy, when they come and do harm to you, when they go to hurt you. This is what the right response looks like. Now, if he was an aggressive retaliation guy, he would say, hey, if they take your coat, you take theirs. He would say, if they smack you on the face, you hit them harder. And if that's the philosophy that Jesus bought into, then what he would really be saying is, your enemy and what happens to him does not matter to me, right? If Jesus was a pacifist, he would say, hey, if someone comes to take your coat, then you just let them take it. Just get, you'll find a new coat. Just give it to them. And he would say, if, you know, if someone comes and smacks you on the face, well, then you just let them smack you and you deal with it and you'll heal up. Um, and what he would be saying then is not that your enemy doesn't matter, but that actually you and your welfare don't matter. And neither of those realities is true for Jesus. And so that's not what he says. Instead, Jesus offers us the third way of responding. It's the way that I'm calling this morning assertive love. It's not aggressive. It's not passive. But it is an assertive love that can change and transform the world. Listen to this. Think for a minute with me about these two moments. We'll start with the second one first. If someone were to come up to a guy on the street... And they were to steal his coat. They were to take his coat. They were to forcibly remove his coat from his body. Now he would be wearing what? Just his tunic. Now imagine this response, the response Jesus calls for in in this passage. Since you've taken my coat, why not have my tunic as well? When he does this, what's he wearing? This guy is now... He's now, it's not a bad word in church, it's now what? Actually, he has underwear on. Come on, people. I mean. No, he is now naked. He's now naked. That's a pretty bold move. That's pretty assertive. That's pretty brash. That's taking matters into your own hands. Because now what is the crowd doing? Now what are the people who are watching, saying and thinking? Here's what they're saying and thinking. Wow. I can't believe that guy. I can't believe what he's doing. I can't believe how cruel and mean and inhumane it is to leave someone naked on the street. You see, in this assertive moment, what this person would be doing would be to put a spotlight on the evil and injustice that has just occurred. They would literally be saying, hey, everybody, take a look at just how inhumane it is to forcibly take something from someone else that doesn't belong to you. Do you see how devaluing and awful this is? And everyone would notice. It would just be like saying, man, people would say, we can't have that. Maybe even the person taking the coat would say, hey, and in, on that, in that case, we'll just, no, just keep it all, right? Like, I'm out of here. I don't want the crowd getting nuts on me. Or, or the other example that, that Jesus gives us here in Luke. If someone strikes you on the cheek, 
Now you can imagine again, this is a public moment. People watch this. This is not something that they took lightly or that would happen every day. And Jesus says, well, instead of retaliating or instead of just sort of slinking back and, and, and receiving that, you say, well, if you're going to strike me on one cheek, why not the other cheek? And now again, what's the crowd saying? What's he going to do? I mean, it's one thing. It's one thing to hit somebody one time. It's one thing to slap them one time, but to slap them again? How bad will it be if he smacks them twice? How bad will he look? You see, again, a spotlight is now shining, assertively placed on the injustice and mistreatment of this incident. And the person's not a victim, and they're not an aggressor. Now, here's here's why being assertive is is such a loving thing to do. So you say, well, how is that? That's, I see how that's assertive and I see how that solves the problem, but how is that loving? Here's, here's how it's loving. Behind this kind of action, this Jesus way of responding, not with aggression or passivity, but with assertive love, is this core belief. I don't just want to change the behavior. I don't just want to change your behavior. I actually have a larger goal in mind. I want to change you. I want to change how you think about what you're doing. I want to change how you think about me. I want the people around who are observing this to start to see the world in a different way. You see, in the upside-down kingdom of God, even your enemy is worth redeeming. And assertive love says this, even though you may have hurt me or harmed me or insulted me or humiliated me, you still have value as a child of God and you can be saved from your sin. Martin Luther King Jr. talks about this idea and he says it this way. He says, we must recognize that the evil deed of the enemy, the thing that hurts us, never quite expresses all that he is. We love the person who does an evil deed although we hate the deed that he does. So he says, hey, instead of just characterizing somebody as saying, this is the bad thing they did, that's the totality of who they are, they're completely evil because they've done this bad, awful thing. He says, no, you recognize that there is good in them, that there is God in them, that they were created in the image of God, and they are worth redeeming. And so you don't attack, you don't back off, you assertively show them who they are, give them the chance to make it right. Later in his message, he's talking more specifically about the civil rights movement. He says it this way. Listen to these words. Imagine this. I just can imagine hearing him say these things. He says, in this very sermon on loving your enemies, throw us in jail and we shall still love you. Send your hooded perpetrators of violence into our community at the midnight hour and beat us and leave us half dead and we shall still love you. But be ye assured that we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer. One day we shall win freedom, but not only for ourselves. And listen to this part, this is the best part. We shall so appeal to your heart and conscience that we shall win you in the process. And our victory will be a double victory. You see, that's a love that doesn't just win the issue, win the moment. It wins the hearts and minds and souls of people. And the world is never the same again. That's the love of Christ, the assertive love of Jesus. Don't you think that just deserves an amen? Um, The power of God's love 
is greater than the power of anyone in this world's hate. To live this way, you have to believe that, friends. You see, that's what lies behind this entire passage. Don't just win the conflict, win the person, win the relationship. That's why you love and do good and bless and pray and give because the person is more important than the conflict. So if instead of passively disengaging and saying you're not worth my time or aggressively engaging and saying this issue is more important than you are, we are called to be a people who respond to our enemies and those who hurt us in a different way. And the last verse of this section, verse 31, it's it's the golden rule. It, It fits right in. It just reinforces this very concept that Jesus is talking about. He says, do to others as you would have them do to you. There was a famous rabbi in Jesus' day um, named Hillel. There were actually two main rabbis, Shammai and Hillel. Hillel. They're like the top dogs of kind of telling the people what God thought and believed and the laws they should follow. And Hillel was asked one day by someone, sum up the entire law for me, if you would, standing on one leg. And so the, the, the question was, you know, can you do it quickly? Because we know you can't stand on one leg for very long. So give us the entire law, but do it in a really abbreviated way. And so standing on one leg, Rabbi Hillel answered this way, what is hateful to you, do not to another. What is hateful to you, do not to another. That was the common thought. That was the common belief in Jesus' day. It's what people believe love looked like. But do you see how passive that is? The world's not going to get changed with what is hateful to you, do not to another. You see, friends, the world will tell you this. Just avoid doing hateful things to people you wouldn't want them to do to you. Just avoid doing mean stuff and you're all good. But Jesus says, don't just avoid. Don't just be passive in your love. Be assertive. In my kingdom, he says, we go out of our way to do to others as we would have them do to us. We go out of our way to meet evil and enemies and injustice and oppression with the transforming power of assertive love. One author I read this week said that he he talked about this assertive love and just how, how broad reaching it was and he called it promiscuous generosity i loved that promiscuous generosity just the combination of those two words that you wouldn't hear it's the only time high schoolers i'm going to use the word promiscuous with you in here so just enjoy it promiscuous generosity it only applies to this part of the message okay um sorry parents are like not really loving me right now the upside down edit yourself to the upside down Kingdom, friends, never just avoids evil. It always seeks out good. It's just reckless in that and just seeking out how can I do good and bless those who hurt and move in with assertive love to change the world. Who are we called to love? What does that love look like? And then finally, friends, and we'll be brief on this part, where does our motivation to love like this come from? Verse 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. Because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. 
Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Now, when you first read that section of this passage, it almost sounds like if you do all this stuff, you get some credit, like God will give you credit, like you're getting tokens at Chuck E. Cheese, and then you can cash it in later for like God approval, and maybe you can eventually earn your way onto his team and be one of his kids. It's not actually what the passage says at all. The translation is, is, is very poor. The word in this passage mentioned over and over and over again, translated credit, is actually the Greek word uh, charis, which means, does anyone know? Charis? Charis. It means? Charity or grace. Grace. It's the New Testament word for grace. It's the New Testament word that means unmerited love. And so time and time again, what Jesus is saying here is if you love people with the expectation of receiving something in return, if you love them, hoping you're going to get something back, where's the grace in that? Where's the grace in that? Where's the unmerited favor in that? Where's the free gift of love in that? And there's this little phrase in verse 35. It says, without expecting to get anything back. Technically, it it means this. Hope nothing from it. How should you love? How should you love your enemies? How should you love people who persecute you? You should love them, and then you should hope nothing from it. You should expect nothing in return. There should be no strings attached to your love. Why? Why? How can you love in this way? It's because if you have the mercy and love of your Father in your heart, you're already full. You don't need to get something from the other. You don't need to love them in order to get because you've already received from Him. That's what marks you as one of His children. That's why you can love the way you do. What empowers you to love your enemies with no strings attached? To love them with grace and unmerited favor? And to love them in a way that says, I hope nothing from it? It's because you've been loved in that way already by God. And then people look at you and they say, I recognize that love. I've seen that kind of love before. Oh, you must be one of his kids. One of those people that loves and follows Jesus. And friends, you know what that frees us up to do? That kind of love, that kind of mercy, that kind of relationship with God frees us up to see our enemies not as obligations or obstacles, but as opportunities. Now, every time someone insults you, mistreats you, hurts you, betrays you, instead of it being a problem, it's now, because of Jesus in your life, an opportunity. An opportunity to show the unmerited, no-strings-attached love that God has shown you. Got any opportunities in your life right now? Any places, any people where you might just be able to go and say, here's a place where I can just assertively love with no strings attached and offer the unmerited grace of God, the grace that I've received first. This morning as we close our our service, I'm going to ask you to do two things. We're going to invite you to the table. And the table is the place where we remember the mercy that we've been given. We remember the grace of God that we've received through his son and his body that was given and his blood that was shed. And we actually come to the table to take these elements and hold them in our hands. And we so deeply need to remember them 
that we eat the bread and we drink from the cup as a way of just saying, remember soul, remember body, how much God loves you, the mercy he has for you. And so I invite you to the table, get the elements, take, it back to, take them back to your seat, receive them on your own. And then after you've remembered God's love in your life, let me ask you to do this. One name, one person in your life right now, maybe it's a person that you might consider an enemy, maybe it's a person that you're in conflict with, maybe it's a real good friend, but there's been something between you. One person that needs to see and feel the assertive love of God from you in their life. Just one person, not six, not five, not four. Don't be like a triple A student and write down three names. I just want you to write one because I want you to do it. I want you to find one person and say, this is a person that I need to love this week. I need to receive the mercy of God and I need to go this week and find a way to love them with no strings attached. And don't just think the name. Here, this, I don't know if this is true for you, but this is true for me. If I just sit in the pew and I think this is the person, it's so easy for that just to float away. But if I just grab a piece of scratch paper, my bulletin, a card from the pew rack, and I write the name down, it's much more likely that I'll do it. So would you write a name today? If you don't have one that comes to mind, just pray that God would bring someone to mind this week for you. Come to the table, remember God's mercy, and then think about how you might share God's mercy with someone this week. I'll pray, and then when you're ready, you can come. Father, thank you. You are gracious. There are days when I'm so aware of your grace and mercy. And there are days when I miss it. May today be a day, Lord, where we see it and we feel it and we embrace it that we might live it in this world. Help us to think of just the right people. And then, God, go before us. Help us, prepare us to assertively love them the way they need to be loved. That's our prayer. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.